Welcome to the Matrix Care Podcast from the software leader for out-of-hospital and long-term care. Matrix Care is dedicated to sharing knowledge and empowering providers across the care continuum, including home-based and facility-based care organizations. Today we hear from Naveen Gupta, Senior Vice President of Home and Hospice Division for Matrix Care, and his special guest. Let's dive in. Welcome again to another episode of the Matrix Care Podcast. My name is Naveen Gupta. I'm the Senior Vice President and Division Head for the Home and Hospice Division. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Ido Banak. Our guest really needs no introduction for anyone even remotely tied to home health and hospice. Uh, He is the President and CEO of NHPCO, which, uh, as many of you know, is the leading organization that represents hospice and palliative care organizations. Really, really excited to have you, Ido. Welcome. Thanks for having me. You know, uh, you, you know I had um, listened to your, to your podcast. It's, it seems like it's a, it's a new sort of uh, thread. Uh, it's based around leadership. It's, you know, leading person-centered care conversations with yourself. And I listened to the very first episode with Gene, and he's the senior vice president of AARP Global Thought Leadership. It was, a, by the way, just congratulations. It was a fantastic uh, podcast, and I need to add that to my list. And one of the Thank statements you. that he made on that podcast, um, you know, as, as you teed that up, he said, we are a product of our expectations and environments. And he shares his life story a little bit and then said, our worldview is shaped by our childhood. Very often in this podcast, we begin by uh, allowing our listeners to get to know our guests a little bit better. And we call it the origin story. So Share with us a little bit about your origin story your, and, and your passion for aging and how did you find your purpose and calling? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Usually I'm the one asking the question, so I, I, <laughs> yes, love, I love being on the other side here. Um, so I, I grew up in Israel the first nine, uh, almost nine years of my life. I grew up uh, on a kibbutz a commune in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was nine, I moved to New York City. So I think the, the part of the answer is that, um, you know, almost, you know, at, at, at birth through nine, I was living in a, in, a, in a commune, a society where everybody had to look out and care for each other, where, you know, the collective was stronger than, than, than the individual, where we, 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 we wanted to make sure that we were safe. Um, and safety, obviously was a big deal uh, on the northern kind of frontier of Israel in, in the uh, late 70s and early 80s was not a particularly safe time. Um, so that, I think, helped shape me. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and then when I moved to New York, you know, New York in 1984 was not much safer than northern Israel. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in 1984, it was, uh, I lived in Queens and we were sort of, you know, lower middle class. And Again, I think, you know, we kind of dealt with a situation where, you know, there, there wasn't this collective kind of looking out for you. You were sort of on your own. And mm-hmm. I think it gave me a little, a lot of, um, you know, insight into what the, what the role of government should be, uh, what the healthcare system should be like. And I think a lot of that um, is what um, kind of stays with me as I uh, move on into, into leadership. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, really fascinating. I, and I do completely agree. You know, our, our worldview gets shaped early and our environments shape us. And just sharing your experiences from your early sort of formative years in Israel. Beautiful country. I've been there a few times. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's great. And just to now see how you are leading and, and advocating uh, for these organiza- organizations is, is really amazing. So um, 
let, let's you know just switch topics a little bit. Um, you know, would love to love to you know get your point of view on obviously you know the, the pandemic. And there's a lot that has been covered on from magazines to papers to blog posts to podcasts, etc. But you know, we within our organization, we serve hundreds of hospice and palliative care organizations within our ecosystem. And I've personally chatted with uh, a number of CEOs and other leaders in these organizations, one of which is Tara Lowry, you know, she introduced us and a you know, common friend. Right. And, um, you know, she, and she's got a great origin story, by the way, uh, you know, yes. we've had her on this podcast. Oh my gosh. I mean, she uh, has influenced us significantly. And so obviously there are issues, obviously regulatory issues. There are issues long-term for caregivers, um, economic impacts. Uh, if you were to just distill it, uh, what do you see as the major positive and negative dynamic forces. So there've been certain accelerators that have, that have happened. And we don't need to get in the weeds a little bit, but you know, if you just pull back a little bit, how yeah. do you see the pandemic has really changed the landscape? Yeah, I mean, let's, let's begin with the silver lining. So the, so the positive uh, uh, parts of this uh, horrible pandemic. Uh, you know, for one thing, I think that the pandemic has laid bare the idea that the institutional medical model uh, has it all figured out, right? I think that our healthcare system was caught flat-footed by a global pandemic that people were experiencing mostly at home. And I, I think a lot of the trends that we've seen kind of eking along uh, the move to technology and telehealth, the move to more care in the community and outside of institutions, those moves have been accelerated. And that's a good thing for people. The mm -hmm. idea that you have to drag yourself to uh, a hospital downtown where that's not necessarily where you are or where you want to be, or even if it is where you are, it's not where you want to be. I think that that's, that is going to be less of a part of the healthcare system uh, mm -hmm. as we move forward. The idea that you even have to go into an office when you can do something remotely, that is going to be less of a part of the healthcare system. And both of those things I think are are good. And, and I think that the positive again, a silver lining that comes from the pandemic. Mm. The, obviously, the negative is immense. The reality that we've lost, you know, I said uh, back in February, we're going to lose 400,000 people to COVID-19. And, you know, even as I said that, I, I, I said, and it's going to be the second leading cause of death. And, and at the time, it just seemed like a ridiculous statement. But actually, we're there. It is the second leading cause of death. And we're halfway there in terms of lost lives, wow. we can't underestimate how much of a toll that that's played on, uh, on communities. And, and I think that the, the negative implication of that that hasn't gotten enough um, attention is latent grief and, and bereavement. You know, mm -hmm. whether, whether you lost your way of life or you lost your loved ones or you were affected in some other way, um, you're still processing that right now. And yeah. that's going to have consequences for uh, for years to come. And I think that's part of where hospice and palliative care come in, in the, the provision of grief and bereavement support. There's so many mm -hmm. things that, and this is, uh, again, for, to every negative, serious illness is a negative, bereavement and grief is a negative. But the question isn't naming it. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. And so yeah. I, I, I prefer to focus on how are we going to change our healthcare system so that people get pre-acute care as they decline instead of having to drag themselves into a hospital once they decline, ideally not on a stretcher. You know, how, how are we going to better utilize technology and how are we going to balance that with the, the 
balance of the in-person touch and how are we going to make sure that everybody who's been really through the ringer here gets the support and care that they need. And that I think is going to be the mark of whether or not, you know, we as a world, uh, but certainly we as a country have learned anything from what we're experiencing uh, and are able to create a better healthcare system. And I'm really committed to doing uh, my part to, to get there. Yeah, you know, you know, that's that's very consistent with with our view as well. Um, you know, oftentimes we talk about out of hospital care, and you know, COVID is just accelerating the the trend where where people want to age at home, they want to receive care at home. Uh, it's also just uh, exposing how fragile and fragmented the healthcare system is, how dependent we are on the larger institutions and health systems, and how focused on fee for service related services there, essentially. So I, I think you're right. I like the idea of there is the silver lining that's beginning to emerge. Uh, new, uh, you know, new models will emerge of care at home. We do look at patient, we've got a pretty large footprint in, in, in out of hospital slash post-acute. You know, we, we play in skilled nursing, senior living, CCRCs, uh, obviously home health hospice, private duty. And so we, have, we can see patient flow and um, just seeing more high, higher acuity patients coming to the home. And, and it's great. I, I think that, that silver lining is, is true. And then, you know, your, your point mm-hmm. about technology a little bit. So CMS, you know, certainly provided certain flexibilities for telehealth and remote patient monitoring, you know, during yep. this, this public health emergency. It's not quite known how much of this will, will um, you know, whether you'll be able to report telehealth visits on, on home health hospice claims to get some sort of credit, whether there'll be reimbursements, what is your point of view? Where is Congress and the administration headed with the use of RPM and telehealth and making some of them, them permanent? I, I think that whether we're talking about whichever administration we're talking about, I mean, we're talking about, uh, you know, obviously we're speaking here about a month before the election. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so, but I don't think it matters. I think that uh, both Congress and whatever administration we're dealing with will make uh, a number of these regulatory changes permanent. I think uh, within hospice, we have the face-to-face uh, being done via telehealth. I think yes. uh, that's likely going to be made permanent as well, if we have anything to say about it. So I think a lot of these um, temporary measures that were during the public health emergency will become uh, temporary, uh, certainly with our with our advocacy and, uh, and that of others. I think the thing that we want to look for is, but, but we don't want to make sure, we don't want a world none of us do as human beings, where everything's virtual, uh, yeah. where, where once, once we're able to be in person again, you know, we're resigned to Zoom and, uh, and webinars and, and whatever. So we have to find that the right balance. Uh, but assuming we have the right balance, I think a lot of those things are going to be made uh, permanent. Yeah, you know, I, I think I, I had um, Bill Dombey, it just so happened was last week, and, you know, we were, we were conversing on similar topics. And, you know, I, I think the, the checks and balances to, to avoid, you know, misuse, uh, certainly, but, but technology is a great accelerator. And I think, particularly in this time, a lot of places where facilities were shut down, access was restricted. Early, early days, obviously, PPE was, was a huge concern as well. Being able to really use technology productively, even, I mean, a lot of technology vendors, including us, you know, making video health a priority, working with leaders within telehealth, making those solutions available. Uh, and I do believe it's just the start. I think there will be more innovation that will, that will emerge. There'll be additional workflows that will emerge. 
um, and, and, and also sort of reimbursement and the economic models to support it will emerge. Right. So it's, it's great to just get your point of view on, on that as well. Yeah, I mean, let me let me just say one more yeah, thing about yeah, that. Absolutely. I think what, one of the problems that we had in, in this country pre-pandemic was an increasingly isolated, lonely, depressed, opioid addicted uh, society. And that hasn't, in terms of what, what happened uh, within the pandemic, uh, as well as the response, the growth of, of technology, that doesn't necessarily address the underlying problem. Um, so we are going to have to address better ways for people to be connected, to be supported. A part of that is care in the home, not only of the medical variety, but I yes. don't want to lose sight as we think about this. I don't want to lose sight of, um, of some of the, um, the difficulties that, that folks are having out there. And yes. I want to think, and I'd like to think that we can be a part of the solution. Yeah, no, well said. You, know, it's, it's, you talk about isolation and, and living arrangements, et cetera, a little bit. You know, I, it just so happened not too long ago, I was looking at, you know, certain characteristics of the Medicare population and 27% of the Medicare population live alone. And so it's, it's a pretty staggering number. I, you know, that number wasn't, you know, clearly evident to me. Uh, one in four, you know, are, are feeling that. So again, you know, the, I think there's, there's room there for, um, you know, as you talk about pre-acute, you know, wellness, maybe managing, managing chronic, chronic diseases uh, and the use of technology to support that. Absolutely. Let's talk about the, the Medicare Advantage, uh, Carvin. Um, again, it, it is um, pretty significant in one sense. Um, not too long ago, I think it was you know, just last month, I believe, um, you know, nine MA plans that would begin to participate, participate uh, in the CMS Innovation Center model. And, you know, just from your point of view, what should leaders pay attention to here? What does the pathway really look like? And I'm having the same conversation with several hospice CEOs wanting to get their point of view. Obviously, it's, 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 a, it's a specific region where, where this is, um, you know, going to be tested. Curious to get your, your point of view on that, Ido. Yeah, so I have, I have lots of feelings. Um, okay. Uh, strong, strong feelings on this. So, so uh, we've been working on this for three years uh, at least, more than that. But on this iteration, really ever since I got to NHPCO, it's something I worked on a little bit when I was at, uh, at CMS. Mm -hmm. uh, and here's the deal. Uh, you ask five people about MA Carvin, uh, you get strong reactions. I hate it. I love it. But very rarely do you actually get very specific, you know, feedback. So right because this is such a, a third rail issue. And so the, the approach that we, we took really, again, like three years ago, is sit down with the plans, sit down with the providers and talk about mm -hmm. quality, talk about access, talk about payment, talk about beneficiary protections. And the question is, what, what is necessary? What's the hurdle that's necessary on all of those metrics in order for any demo to be better for, for people, right? Mm -hmm. That's the goal here. We're not mm -hmm. talking about providers primarily. We're talking about individuals retaining access to hospice care. And by the uh -huh. way, those individuals can't represent themselves because they don't know who they're going to be yet. We're talking uh -huh. about a future state. So it's today's hospice patients are not going to be tomorrow's patients by definition. And so we right. actually have to look out. So we, you know, we worked with the Medicare Rights Center and some advocates. We worked with some health plans and, and we worked with CMS. And we said, look, here are some things that we need to see in order for a demonstration to actually be uh, innovative. Uh, mm -hmm. and a demonstration. Unfortunately, CMS hasn't passed that test. Um, we asked in uh, December, pre-pandemic, for a delay because it really seemed that 
my fear was that the, the light or skinny version of this demo would be, let's take hospice and plop it into Medicare Advantage and see what happens. Well, that's not a demo and that's not innovative. Now, a demo or innovative would be, here's a defined palliative care benefit pre-hospice yes. that you're required yes. to provide. A demo or innovative would be, the hospice benefit is now a year rather than six months. A mm -hmm. demo or innovative would be concurrent care. You don't have to give up curative care to give up give up curative care to get to get palliative care. What mm -hmm. we have instead is this a laissez-faire world where CMS is allowing health plans to do all those things, but allowing someone to do something and requiring them to do something are different. Yes. Fundamentally different. And so we know health plans are incentivized. We know that profit comes into this. We don't think health plans are bad uh, mm -hmm. or that all providers are good, uh, but we want to make sure that there aren't um, any unintended consequences here. So especially um, uh, given the pandemic, uh, we've reiterated to CMS and to Congress, this is not the time and this is not the demo. They're pressing ahead. It is a small demo, not across yes. the country all at the same time, uh, but we're still of the opinion that uh, January of 2021, it's still a 50-50 proposition uh, whether or not this proceeds. Oh, interesting. For, well, for one thing, there might be a different administration. Uh, what, what would you do if you were a new administration and the previous administration came up with something? It doesn't matter what that something is. Right. Uh, right. You may choose to not, not proceed with it. And there's some precedent there. Um, there's also the question about pushback from plans. Plans don't know their reporting requirements yet. And there's a whole bunch of guidance that... CMS should have gotten out to plans, and it hasn't. So I could talk your ear off about this, but <laughs> I just want to make sure that we protect patients and families and, uh, and, and people do have access to appropriate hospice care, and that's been our lens the whole time. Yeah, you know, you know it, it, does, it does have very strong reactions. Uh, definitely, definitely hear that. And, uh, you know, again, you know, to, to, to your role in NHPCU, making sure there's no unintended consequences. Um, really, I mean, for the patient, right, for sure, right, they, that it, it's really important to them. And I like you talked about maybe the question, the bigger question is what's broken first, right, with the, with the Medicare uh, side of the house to really understand what, what, what innovation really evolves from it. And you shared a few examples there. Yeah, and, and Naveen, I, th I think that, you know, when we've asked CMS what's broken and why you're doing this demo, we don't get a good answer. I think the best answer we've gotten is we want continuity. We want to make sure that people are being served by uh, or, or overseen by the same entity as they go from a chronic to a serious illness to the end of life. The problem, though, is that they've put together a demo where it may well be that you have one provider for the chronic illness, a different provider for the serious illness or palliative care and mm -hmm. a different provider for hospice care. So where's the continuity in that? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, yeah, that's great. You know, and, and I think, and I don't know in, in part, you know, the MA plans are, are continuing to grow, um, you know, patients enrollees moving from fee for service to MA plans, you know, that patient flow or at least the Medicare enrollees, you know, that, that is moving. And um, so I think the, the checks and balances there, thoughtful discussions, rigor, in making sure that true innovation is happening and uh you know we're not just doing it for doing its sake i mean there is there's there's good rationale but again I, you know, I, yeah. I know there's a lot more i'm sure you could speak about it uh it, it's it's good and uh, for us to be mindful of how this is evolving and uh, you know and how we can partner indeed
Um, I think you touched on what palliative care. You know, one of the things right. that we see with our hospice organizations, again, palliative care is 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 growing. It's growing rapidly. Over fifty percent of hospice organizations, in some form, are are involved in that. And you know, just wanted to get your point of view on um, you know community based palliative care, yeah. um, reimbursement models emerging out of that. And again, you know, I think keeping people well, managing chronic conditions, keeping them out of the, the, the systems, the health systems, proactively engaging. It, it, and this, you're very well aware of it. Numerous studies done on how it reduces costs, overall costs to the health system and, um, and, and, and really provides, provides better outcomes. So just curious from, from NHPCO's point of view, how, how far are we, are, are we from really beginning to get some sort of community-based palliative care programs in place? Well, thank you. Uh, you know, we, we've been working really hard to uh, actually with CMMI, the same people who are putting the, the VBIT demo on uh, yep. Medicare Advantage Carded, to actually put together a community-based palliative care uh, pilot. We've been in active discussions with them. I, I can't really guarantee um, anything, uh, uh, you know, especially these days. Uh, but um, I am optimistic that people finally understand the need because I think we have uh, first of all, we have a definition of palliative care. It's in the hospice statute. Uh, but everyone agrees that, that palliative care is not limited to hospice. We don't want it to be. We want people to have access to interdisciplinary community-based care uh, mm -hmm. prior to the end of life. And everyone shares that. The problem is that despite using the term palliative care, and despite it being defined in the hospice statute, there is no fee-for-service palliative care benefit. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is that you know, Humana has one version of it uh, and Aspire has another version of it and, you know, whomever has another version of it. And again, going back to the consumer, if you're on the receiving end of those words, palliative care, you should know what you're going to get. Generally, yeah, absolutely. Like absolutely. you do with home health or you do with hospice or you do with anything else. Unfortunately, you don't. So in uh, going back to the VBIT demo, you're putting the cart before the horse a little bit and saying to the health plans, do whatever you want and let us know what it is. Because uh, we have a history and a track record of health plans innovating, but that not necessarily being to the benefit of consumers until the government comes in and says, here's the line. Mm -hmm. Above it, you can do it. Below it, you can't. And you know, I, I, there I sort of belie, you know, I think my belief in big government sometimes, but government has a role. And here, government has a role in protecting people. Uh, and making sure that people have appropriate access uh, to care. And if you're a consumer and you have different kinds of entities using the same word and no way to differentiate between them, there are no quality metrics, there are no reporting requirements. It's very tricky. So step one should be to create that fee-for-service palliative care benefit. Mm -hmm. Step two should, should be to say to the ACOs and Medicare Advantage plans, do whatever you want above and beyond. Unfortunately, we've done the opposite. We've said to the other, to the entities, do whatever you want. We'll then figure out what our baseline is. Uh, either way, the time is beyond. It's beyond time to create that baseline. Yeah, I think that'll that'll be interesting to see. You know how that evolves as well. Uh, I, I think it's a key component of how healthcare is going to play out, um, and making sure again, you know, putting making sure all the policies. That are, that are emerging, you know, put, put patients first, people first, essentially. That's right. And we, we think that the, the best baseline for uh, community-based palliative care is hospice. Community-based, 
interdisciplinary, person-centered care. It's not post-acute home care. It's not whatever it is that, uh, that various innovations have, have done. It's a version of community-based interdisciplinary person-centered care with more flexibility. And yeah. so I think that that's what we're really working hard to uh, accomplish. That's great. You know, I got my final question for you. Um, you know, so our resident is our parent company. Uh, you know, early on, we, we had a program called Nominate a Hero, really in the thick of the, of the pandemic, which was encouraging our, our clients to, to post stories and share stories of caregivers and leaders that have gone above and beyond. Uh, and we got many of them that came through. In fact, even Tara shared, you know, about a music therapist um, who, you know, this was in the early days when it was very difficult, things were being shut down, just saw it as her unique calling to go and, 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 and care and, and provide her services. So just again, I'm sure you're chatting with number of organizations, meeting a number of leaders, et cetera. I don't, maybe this puts you on the spot a little bit, but can you share a story? Can you share something of what you might have uh, observed within the NHPCO network of either leadership or caregiver that just communicates how people have seen their unique calling, particularly in hospice case, to, to go above and beyond and help people really end strong and end well? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, back in, uh, in February and uh, early March, we, we began noticing that uh, people were posting pictures on social media of themselves in, in PPE going out to uh, mm -hmm. someone's home. And we created the Faces of Caring campaign which uh, you, anyone can find on Facebook or mm. anywhere else. And we began to highlight those providers who were actually putting themselves uh, in harm's way, sometimes scraping together whatever they could for PPE and making yes. sure that people were cared for. So the entire category of individuals, if I'm, if I'm picking one, uh, it's the woman who on her way to go visit uh, a, 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 a patient, uh, and keeping her mind in mind that a lot of the folks who are frontline caregivers are also dealing with their own situations at home with virtual learning and yes. kids running around and everything else. She's driving uh, in the car with PPE on and she's singing Let It Go from Frozen. Uh, mm, and just as wow. a dad myself, that totally resonates because she was literally saying, let it go. I've got to put I've got to put whatever's happening at home behind me, but I'm going to sing this song because I just watched Frozen with my daughter, and I'm going to go into the great unknown here. And I thought that was just so, so telling and, and gripping. And so we really started the campaign right, right around that. Wow, you know, that, that is um, profoundly touching. Uh, it, it does take special calling, you know, especially within the hospice space. Right. Um, thank you so much for all you do. You know, we are thank you. committed to your organization. We are grateful for the partnership. Um, and again, just thank you so much for, for making time. I, I believe that this is going to really serve the audience. Excellent. Thanks for having me. That concludes today's episode brought to you by Matrix Care. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to visit us at matrixcare.com for more information on our solutions and services. Please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And leave a review if you enjoyed this episode or have other topics you'd like to hear discussed. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook to hear more from Matrix Care. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.